it would be wonderful to have you reflect a little bit on, on your own vote to the extent that you feel comfortable with that. Actually, I've got a question um, from Dina. Um, and uh, she says, um, because, I, because I, I know how you voted, we've been open about that, we've talked about it a little bit ourselves. Um, but she asks, uh, why would the leader of a Christian organization want to leave the EU um, if the EU is seen by many to be a unifying force? Um, but there's a lot of other sides to the question potentially as well. Yeah, it's very interesting, Dina. Well, firstly, I've been I've been looking at some stuff recently about intercultural dialogue and how it relates to the EU. And actually, some of the charges against intercultural dialogue and the EU is that in the in the desire to create the concept of European citizen, you have to create a concept of people who are not European citizens, which means there is pressure and almost a finger pointed at migrants, i.e., non. European people or African and Asian people. But part of the issue of the EU is it seeks to create a concept of a commonality of people of which there is not necessarily a commonality other than potentially race or, or skin color in that sense. So to some extent, my recent thinking is that the EU itself is something which may be a unifying force, but it's not a unifying force in a uh, eth ethnic concept. Anyway, that may be a slightly more radical, so I could, I could send you some papers related to that. But it, it's, it's actually made me realise that um, there is lots of forces there. So I wouldn't necessarily say that the EU is a unifying force in itself. Um, well, just as I'm quite happy to share uh, at this point uh, with this class what I voted. I voted both ways. I spoiled my paper because yes. I felt that um, I did not feel it was clear. It was quite useful because I could tell everyone I voted the same as them. Um, but no, I, I felt that the, the arguments were not made, but I wanted to exercise my democratic right to have an opinion. And that was that I didn't have. An opinion. Mm -hmm. I find myself more often than not defending levers, I suppose. And I think that's probably partly what Dina's asking here. Um, I, it's interesting, people close to me, and someone close to me, she's voted for Brexit because she felt the other argument was one of fear. Now, you may, that may, you may say, oh, hang on, no, it's about fearing, fearing immigration or fearing something. No, no, there was, it was a, there was a, there was certainly project fear, probably both ways. So I think there is that. So I think, and, and she said, I'm not going to vote on the basis of fear. So I think that's interesting. I think it's all different. I mean, the, the fact that, that um, Trump won in America, Macron won in France, and the Brexit came in and, and then was reconfirmed effectively by this last uh, election, right. means that people are not happy with the status quo. And I, I'm more interested in the forces at play. Brexit was never just about Brexit. Um, and I think that's more interesting in that sense. So I would I would disagree that EU is a, a unifying force. I think for a lot of people from ethnic minority within, uh, certainly from India, there's a lot of people that voted against um, the EU because they wanted to have closer links to other parts of the world. So um, I would disagree with that. Mm. If I if I could do a, a follow up yeah. about this, and it's really really helpful to to remember now that you spoiled spoil your ballot paper actually, um, but um, how would you or do you have some ways that you would try to theologically defend or support the Christian the Christian perspective, let's say, on mm -hmm. um, on voting leave? Is is that something that somebody can do, or is it actually relatively irrelevant? Is there not really a theological case 
for for one way. Or the other. I have, yeah, I have heard people give a theological case. Um, I've got some strong Brexiteers in my own family who are in senior church positions. I've not heard them do that. I think it gets a little bit dodgy. There is some stuff about the symbolism around the EU relating to some of the stuff in Revelation and all that kind of thing. In the same way that people have sought to defend Trump. So I think you're on a little bit of shaky ground there. Um, I would say one uh, Christian MP I've talked to feels there is something very important in relation to nationhood and the EU does away with nationhood. The problem I have with that is it feels again we, I'm talking from a very much from a Christian perspective, so I kind of apologies to other folk there. But you could say, yeah, God seemed to operate through nations, but then again, of course, God's choice was not for a king and a nation; it was for a, a people that He'd chosen initially. So, and I and the problem I'm having is I'm looking quite a lot about the formation of nation states at the moment, so I'm I'm not sure. I, I kind of feel we should go back to kings and queens. I think that was easier in some sense so um, i'm a, a firm royalist so i i would say that you, in some ways i would i probably would look at eu or europe as being a more secularized place um you've got that in france you've got that very strong sense of state promoted secularism which of course there is such bucking against and I would have said that was the same for other the sense of that the same for other states. But then you hear about, you know, the Diaconi and Caritas in Germany having such a strong role to play. So I've heard Christians refer to Europe as the last continent when it comes to evangelism. So that's that's a term I remember being kicked around in the 90s. So association with that and um, I'm not sure about some of those things. I think freedom to, freedom to make some of your own decisions is key. Mm. I don't know how free we feel at the moment in the UK about doing some of those things and whether that freedom will be there. I do know that ne the next tier system will not really be a discussion. It will be a central um, centralised kind of system. Okay. So, okay. you know, that's within a Brexit situation. So who knows? Interesting. Interesting. Yes. Great. Great. Well, um, I've got a few, just a few more questions to kind of tie us up. Okay. And I'd, I'd love to hear your answers to these. Uh, one of them is just that through the APPG and through your work with the Department of Health and, and other work that you're doing, you've come to know many different MPs who are religious people or people of faith of different kinds. Uh, what have you observed in how they bring faith into their politics? Do they do it in different ways? Are there some things you see in common? But do you have some kind of wisdom or observations on how that's done well in politics? Well, I, I, I tell you what, just to give one plug back to ourselves, uh, Dan, we, we've got a podcast series on faith action called Faithful Leaders. Um, right. And it comes under our blog section. And in the next little while, there'll be an interview I did with David Linden, who is a Scottish nationalist uh, MP. David was quite interesting because when I asked, actually similar to similar to um, Emily's question right at the top there, how did he get to where he was? Um, he's very strong about how his faith has played a part, and I was quite taken aback. SNP is not maybe the most faithy of, of parties mm. anyway, yeah. and he was talking about how 
some of his closest relationships are with um, a, um, I don't know if he's a Democratic Unionist, but anyway, a Unionist MP. Um, so, so here is he, a Scottish nationalist, and he's, one of his best relationships is with a Northern Irish Party member who's, who's effectively, their whole party is almost, almost uh, dissimilar. Yeah. But he said, because in the end, what is more important is the beliefs we have around mm. faith. So that's intriguing in mm -hmm. itself. I would say, um, I would say there is a, I would say for politicians, MPs, there's, there's a pressure MPs are under, which I think is different to, to peers. Um, I think one of the difficult things for them, like anyone of faith, is how you work out your faith within the context you're in. And and you've got remember you've got the religious religion of political party that is demanding and all consuming the religion of your constituency you have to serve it's a, you, know, it's a, you have to serve that group of people as well so I I think that it's it's a difficult time and I think one of the issues I would say for MPs is actually having a place where they can come together and draw from each other because actually one thing mp one mp said to me is you don't trust people in your own party because mm. those are the people you've got to scramble over to get somewhere so i think that's that's an interesting thing the other thing is if any of you watch game um game of um or house of cards i stopped watching it in the end there was only so much gratuitous sex i could cope with but after after that um I've met a lot of politicians. I've met a good number of ministers as well. No one's as Machiavellian as that. No one's actually as evil as the people are in, in that show. I mean, maybe maybe some of the real top people that we see on our TV screens, but most people are, you know, are, are trying to do a good thing. And uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's reassuring. It really is. <laughs> that's great. I mean, one, one thing that I, that I enjoy asking uh, people in this interview setting is, um, are there some resources, books, readings, things to listen to that you would recommend to students who want to develop as leaders themselves? Okay. Um, well, Dan, of course, we, you and I have contributed to a, a superb book called yeah. Faith with Sleeves Rolled Up. Um, and that would be an interesting one. There's some chapters in that um, by Stephen Timms, um, who is the chair of the All-Party um, group uh and another by a chap called hugh osgood those are quite good chapters mm. as well mm. i think um i would say one of the best podcasts i've listened to and one of the reasons is really good because it's short is um a podcast called this cultural moment which really looks at is coming from a christian perspective but i think it would work within an other faith perspective it really looks at um what it calls effectively being a Christian or being a person of faith in a non, in a post-Christian world. Right. So looking, so essentially like uh, Alex's question there uh, is, is that context is quite good. It's, guy, it's got a chap called Mark Sayers and a guy called John Mark Comer that are having a discussion and it's real cultural commentary stuff. I think that's quite good resources there. Um, I would encourage, uh, if you are interested in this area, very happy to connect and see if we could uh, connect with some more of the politicians involved with the APPG. That would be something we've done before. I know Dan done before. Yeah. Do that again. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just trying to think what other resources. Um, no, I think those, those are the main ones that stick to mind. This cultural moment, I think, would be one. 
there is there is i mean there's a lot of good stuff by the think tank theos mm. they're quite good and nick spencer has produced uh, is producing books at a rate there's one called the political samaritan i don't know if you've come know that one no no yeah it's interesting about the the politicization of the samaritan story so the, and he's produced a lot of interesting stuff he produces quicker than i can read it no i agree <laughs> so, yeah. yeah yeah no no P people in this module have read uh, from the uh, the mighty and the almighty which is edited by nick spencer and uh, we, oh, did, okay. we did we did we did have elizabeth uh, do one of these um interviews as oh well. did you yeah, Excellent. That was, that was good fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. um, I mean, and just, Paul Woolley is back uh, local oh, in London as well. He's nice. at the what was the contemporary um, Christianity Centre or something like that. So he may be someone worth yes. connecting with. I've not seen him for a long time. Yeah, I look, I look, I look that up. No, that's 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 helpful uh, advice as well. Uh, one one last uh, opportunity for for parting advice <laughs> to <laughs> students is, uh, what kind of leaders do we need in our world today? What thoughts do you have on what we need from from our leaders and from leadership today? Yeah, well, I, I'm just I'm just very aware that I've I've um, ever since Alex's question there referenced the Bible, I've I've not done very well for talking about other faiths, but I'm going to have to fall down there again because. During the whole post-Brexit, Theresa May kind of period of back and forth and parliamentary crisis and that kind of thing, I um, was asked by one senior MP together with him and another MP uh, from a different party with a group of uh, Christian leaders, and, and, we, and we prayed on a monthly basis. A bit of a strange thing to do, but we went into Parliament and prayed and that kind of thing. One of the chaps with us was talking about, he, he really prayed about kindness. And I think I'm fascinated by the likes of William Wilberforce, who we know mostly because of his campaign against slavery, he effectively gave his life and his health to that. But of course, there was a secondary part, which was, um, which was in relation to the restoration of manners, as, as he called it, or good stuff in society. And some of the well-known charities and civil society we know today, I believe the NRSP, the, the, the NSPCC, I think it may be linked to, uh, um, certainly the RSPCA, you know, a lot of different groups were actually part of, I mean, if you read the book, there's a great book by William uh, Haig on William Wilberforce. Right. And it's like every five seconds, these guys are setting up societies and doing different things and that mm. kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. so I think kindness and vision, I think what, one of the problems about our news media and, and social media is that, again, it's very much about soundbites and very short term and very reactive. And actually, I think we need some vision laid out. And, and I know that Dan and I, you and I have discussed those kind of things about a, a vision for the UK, potentially even post-Brexit, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that we need vision, we need kindness and we need we could do with a bit of peace and quiet to get on with some of these things. Um, so I, I would say those are the kind of people we need today. I think people who can cross bridges. One of my concerns about the nature of some of the Black Lives Matter stuff and some of the identity politics stuff is it gets very binary. That either you're for us or against us. It's almost like my French and rhythm thing. If you're not speaking our language in the right way, you're out. But actually. There's, there's an importance about dialogue and connecting and understanding um, people. And actually, I think that's a pretty English thing. 
the kind of the underdog you know we we like if it, i think most of us cheered iceland on when they beat uh, england those those years ago um you know going for the other person going for the lesser herd and all those kind of things i think that's part of our our roots in that sense so kind leaders and leaders with vision i would say and i think we have a responsibility as the public not just to always go for the clickbait and not to go for the short-term mm. thing mm-hmm. and I think, um, i'm i've got some traction with government recently in some different departments because i've said coming out of this crisis we need to put forward a roadmap with several destinations because it's it, will we be allowed to meet with six or not no that's again too binary how about we might be able to meet with six we might be able to meet with 12 we might be able to meet with 15 mm-hmm. or whatever and and let's be grown up that we can actually consider several different possibilities because that's what life is like it's not you know one or other um, so i think there needs to be a kind of maturing of leaders and a maturing of followers in that sense Thank you. That's, that's a fantastic way to end because you're talking about dialogue and really listening to each other. And that's why it's so good to be able to introduce students to you over a longer period of time and really get to get to hear from you, uh, you know, and, and in your own words, uh, not just uh, put into a soundbite or something like that. So um, thank you so much, Daniel.